Hi, you're listening to the VJ Hemonc podcast. Today, we're joined by four leading amyloidosis researchers, Maury Gertz, Vishali Sancharawala, Ashutosh Wakelika, and Raymond Comenzo, who explore insights into AL amyloidosis treatment presented at ASH 2020, as well as the future directions of this field. Hello, and thank you for joining us for this ASH review on amyloidosis brought to you by uh, Video Journal of Oncology. We're very fortunate today because we've brought together some of the global thought leaders in amyloidosis that are responsible for a lot of the research output in this disease. I'm Maury Gertz from the Mayo Clinic, and we're welcoming this evening Vashali Santarawala, the director of the amyloidosis unit at the Boston University Medical Center, Professor Ashu Wakelikar from the National Amyloidosis Center in uh, the United Kingdom, and Professor Raymond Comenzo, who directs the center at Tufts New England Medical Center. We're very grateful for your time uh, today. We're going to start right off in discussing, I think, one of the most important uh, presentations of the ASH meeting, and that was the Andromeda study for newly diagnosed AL light chain amyloidosis. All three of our guest panelists, Dr. Sancharawala, sorry about that, Michelle, uh, Professor Wakelikar and Professor Comenzo all made important contributions. And I think we'll all have uh, important points to make, but Dr. Comenzo was the presenting author and we're gonna start with him. And so Professor Comenzo, could you discuss please the Andromeda study, the updated efficacy and safety data? What does it mean for hematologists in the community that see a newly diagnosed patient with AL amyloidosis? Uh, thank you, Dr. Gertz. Andromeda was a phase three uh, randomized uh, clinical trial. Uh, it was not blinded, uh, in which patients who were newly diagnosed with light chain amyloid, um, they could have uh, stage three cardiac amyloid, for example, uh, but it had to be 3A. Their anti-pro BNP had to be less than 8,500. Um, and with randomization, they were treated with either the combination chemotherapy bortezomib cyclophosphamide dexamethasone, which goes by two acronyms, Cyborg-D or BCD, or that standard chemotherapy plus daratumumab. The schedule of treatment was a six months with VCD in both arms. VCD was given weekly. <clears throat> in the daratumumab arm, daratumumab was given weekly for eight weeks, and then every two weeks for four months, and then 18 months of monthly daratumumab uh, was given to those who were randomized to VCD plus daratumumab. The primary endpoint of the trial was a complete response defined as negative immunofixations and the involved free light chain uh, in the uh, normal range or below normal. The light chain ratio was not used as a criterion of response. In addition, 
there was a novel secondary endpoint called major organ deterioration progression-free survival. That secondary endpoint uh, was a way to capture uh, the deterioration in particularly heart and kidneys uh, that can occur in patients with light chain amyloid. And that endpoint was defined as progression to heart transplant, left ventricular assist device or intraortic balloon pump with respect to cardiac disease, progression to uh, end-stage uh, renal uh, disease requiring uh, dialysis or renal transplant. In addition, death was also a criterion for major organ deterioration, progression-free survival, as was progression of the hemologic disease. The data that was uh, presented <clears throat> was presented with a me median follow-up of about 16 months. And the reason that uh, that time point uh, occurred was that the uh, statisticians had to wait until every patient on the study had completed six months of therapy before they could assess outcomes with respect to uh, complete response and uh, uh, major organ deterioration, progression-free survival. Overall, the two arms were well-balanced. There were about 70% stage two and three cardiac patients in both groups. And the uh, percentage of patients who had stage two or three renal involvement was very similar between the two groups. It was about 40%, as I recall. The treatments in both groups were well-tolerated and the safety signal was what you would expect. Um, the outcomes were quite uh, uh, interesting. As Dr. Gertz indicated, the importance of the trial is contained in the difference between the VCD and their VCD arms with respect to complete response rates. The VCD arm had a complete response rate of 18%, the DARA VCD arm had a complete response rate of 53%. Uh, I, I think that the uh, statistics uh, were uh, very, very uh, well uh, assessed, uh, and there was clearly a difference in the uh, major organ deterioration PFS, not only between those in both groups who achieved complete responses, but particularly between those who are in the DARA VCD group and the VCD group. That difference translated to hazard ratio of over 40% reduction in risk of uh, major organ deterioration, progression, free survival in those who received DARA VCD. In the uh, first uh, couple of months of the study, there were 13 deaths uh, in each arm. Overall, there were 27 deaths at the time the data was uh, cut in the uh, DARA VCD arm and, and, the, uh, and 29 deaths in the VCD arm. The deaths were uh, very, very uh, uh, significantly related to cardiac involvement. There were cardiac deaths. Uh, the trials data is still being analyzed. We'll hear, I think, from Dr. Sanchewala about quality of life data. We'll hear from Dr. Wekalaker about the impact of uh, complete responses on cardiac responses. And I think the overall survival data will mature as time passes, although 
there was a significant uh, uh, cohort who received daratumumab uh, in, in second line uh, among the VCD patients. So we'll see how that plays out as the data mature. Thank you very much. Dr. Santrawala, is this the new standard of care for newly diagnosed amyloid? I think as uh, Dr. Comenzo mentioned, you know, that we need to wait for the final analysis as well as a longer follow-up time. However, the hematologic complete responses do look extremely promising and unprecedented. They are very, very high. And if we believe that hematologic complete responses are surrogate for overall survival and organ responses, then I think that this potentially could become the new standard of care and could be a game changer in patients with AL amyloidosis. I do want to mention about health-related quality of life, which was also analyzed and presented at this meeting uh, as a poster session. And again, you know, that uh, the median time to improvement in some of the quality of life-related domains was shorter uh, for patients treated with DARA VCD, and median time to improve uh, worsening was longer for those uh, who were treated with DARA VCD compared to VCD alone. So I think that, yes, there is also patient-reported outcome data suggesting that DARA VCD uh, is well-tolerated. Thank you. Professor Wakelikar, when we're talking about hematologic responses, when you're seeing a patient, what is the goal of therapy that you're seeking? I think the goal of therapy is um, achieving a not only a complete response, but also a deep light chain response. I think data that we've all analyzed from, uh, you know, you have got some data coming out of your center where you've looked at light chains of less than 20 milligrams per liter. Professor Camenzo has reported light chains of less than 10. And we have reported the difference between the involved and the uninvolved light chain of less than 10, as has uh, Professor Sancharwala. And Whilst we find that complete responses are important, it is really the light chain which is the driver of the disease and achieving a deep reduction in light chains translates into both organ responses and survival. And we did see this in the Andromeda study where 70% of the patients achieved these deep light chain responses. And when the responses were analyzed based on whether you looked at a DFLC response of less than 10 or an IFLC response of less than 20, or just a complete heme response, all of these seem to translate into improved uh, MODPFS, which was the newly defined endpoint in the study. So CR is the new goal of treatment and a really deep light chain response is probably your next goal of treatment. And then we had an abstract about uh, MRD and I guess our final goal is going to be MRD negative uh, CRs in this group of patients. So I'm hearing from talking about the involved free light chain or the difference between the involved and uninvolved. No one's talking about the light chain ratio in this disease. Could you clarify that, uh, Dr. Wakalakar? I think it's fair to say that uh, the light chain ratio is dead. It is hugely affected by the uninvolved light chain in amyloidosis, and it varies massively depending on what happens to the uninvolved light chain. So there is a role for light chain ratio, but I think we are now moving away from the light chain ratio because we can see massive fluctuations in the light chain ratio, particularly when the light chains drop down to a very low level. And then we find in the Andromeda study that if the light chains are below the normal range, the light chain ratio goes from norm, abnormal to normal to abnormal again. 
And by definition, your patient will fall out of a complete response, and that's not what is happening to the patient. Professor Santral, before we move on to the next topic, this is an important aspect. Most oncologists and hematologists deal with progression-free survival and hematologic malignancies. Now we've got this composite endpoint of modified progression-free survival, where it's not just the blood tests we monitor, but it's your heart and it's your kidneys. Is this going to be incorporated in the future trials ongoing as a endpoint for therapy efficacy? So, you know, again, you know, this is a, a novel endpoint which was designed for this particular trial with major organ deterioration defined as either death or hematologic progression or uh, uh, organ failure. So whichever occurred or whichever came first. And this obviously has not been yet, uh, you know, kind of accepted as the standard uh, endpoint, but these novel endpoints, which would incorporate hematologic progression as well as uh, organ deterioration, I think does make sense. And it has shown in this trial that uh, yes, DARA VCD did improve uh, major organ deterioration progression-free survival significantly compared to the control arm. Thank you. Dr. Santarola, you had some data at the meeting regarding the use of isotuximab in the management of relapsed AL amyloid. Could you comment on that, please? So isotuximab was used uh, uh, as a second line treatment or as a, uh, as a treatment for relapsed refractory AL amyloidosis after one prior line of therapy in a multi-center cooperative group trial, uh, which was uh, led by Southwest Oncology Group. And this was presented as an oral presentation by my uh, co-investigator, Dr. Terry Parker. And in that uh, clinical trial, it was a phase two clinical trial, 36 Six patients with relapsed AL amyloidosis were enrolled. The eligibility criteria required at least one prior line of therapy, and the difference between involved and uninvolved light chain of greater than 45 milligrams per liter and NT-proBNP of less than 8,500 picograms per ml. Um, the hematologic responses, which was the primary endpoint of this clinical trial, were achieved by 78, uh, 77% of the patients, and the hematologic complete response and very good partial response were achieved in about 50 7% of the patients. This uh, isotuximab was well tolerated with uh, no uh, major side effects except for infusion-related reactions, which were majority of them were grade one and two, occurred in about 50% of the patients. Uh, there were some um, uh, grade one and two upper respiratory infections and pneumonias. And the median time to hematologic response was one month and one year duration of response was about 89%. So similar to daratumumab, this treatment was quite effective in patients with AL amyloidosis in the second line of treatment, and um, uh, safety profile and tolerability data were quite compatible as well. Thank you. Professor McKellicar, as we move away from the studies, the studies, of course, are not a reflection of real-world experience. These patients couldn't be cardiac stage 3B with an NT probnp over 8,500, had they have a GFR over 20, had they have a measurable light chain greater than uh, five milligrams per deciliter DFLC. You reported on a European consortium over 5,000 patients who were treated. Can you give us some insights on outcomes for patients in the real world, how it's changed over time, please? 
Yes, so this was a effort um, spearheaded by the European Myeloma Network, where data was collected from uh, most of the European centers. Uh, and the data was presented at ASH included just about 2,700 patients with the hope that we will add another maybe 1,500 patients as uh, UK being out of the European Union was not a part of the current data collection uh, set and hopefully we'll have that data in time to come. Um, and the data was analyzed in two different uh, groups, patients diagnosed between 2004 to 2010 and then 2011 to 2018, mainly because there was a change in therapy. Patients who were, about a third of the patients were in the earlier period and then two thirds of the patients were in the later period. There was a switch in therapy from uh, alkylator-based treatment in the earlier period to proteasome inhibitor-based, botazomib-based treatment in the later period. And what we find is uh, that a number of patients present with advanced disease. So about 35% of patients have stage two disease and another nearly 38 to 40% of patients have stage three of which about 20% have the very advanced uh, sort of European stage three B with very high NT-pro BNPs. With the treatments, we find that in the real world, the complete response rates remain fairly low and less than a fifth of all patients will achieve a complete response. Within this cohort, about 16 to 20% of the patients had an autologous stem cell transplant as their frontline treatment. And of all the treatments, that seemed to give the best uh, VGPR or complete response rate, followed by a botazomib-based treatment. The survival uh, data was quite disappointing that we still see a very high mortality in the cardiac patients, both 3A and 3B. The survival of the patients with 3A has improved in the two time periods that we have seen, but the survival of the very advanced 3B patients still remains to th about three or four months with about 40 to 50% of patients dying within the first few months of diagnosis. The overall survival of the stage one patients is very good with the medians uh, now going up to eight or nine years, irrespective of the type of treatment used. So in the real world, we are still seeing disappointing deep responses. We are still seeing very high early mortality we are seeing some improvement in the response rates, but despite this long time period and a very large patient number, the improvement in outcomes is not as dramatic as one would have expected it to be. And uh, the unmet medical need of the patients with advanced disease, I think is, uh, is very openly reflected in this very large data set. Are you able to make any comments? Because early on, melphalendexamethasone was a dominant therapy, and then it was replaced by bortezomib-containing regimens about relative efficacy, what would be considered, forgetting about the daratumumab right now, I mean, starting out therapy for amyloid patients. So the, the deeper responses, um, we certainly see a, a big switch in treatment. What we are seeing is that there is clear improvement in survival with botasomib-based treatments in patients with stage 2A, stage 2 and stage 3A disease. With the stage one patients, we're really not seeing such a dramatic difference in outcomes, whether they were treated with an alkylator-based treatment or with uh, melphalan-based treatment, clearly suggesting we have more time and these patients may be able to access other therapies for improving their deeper responses. And uh, patients with 3B disease, we really don't see a huge difference irrespective of what kind of treatment was used. Although with an eye of fate, there is probably a slightly better tale of survival for the botazomib-treated patients. So. I'm sorry, I apologize. No, please, go ahead. 
we're going to be talking about unmet needs, but could you just comment about the three-month mortality for this very large cohort? So the three-month mortality um, for the three A patients was about 25 to 30%, and the three B patients would have been about 40% plus. Thank you. I can't remember if they, we did an entire overall survival curve. I, I don't recall seeing that in the, in the, in the presentation. Thank you. Dr. Comenzo, we're still seeing a lot of early mortality um, and patients dying before any form of therapeutic uh, intervention could possibly be beneficial. And of course, all of our therapies have been targeted towards the production of amyloid in the bone marrow, but doesn't really deal with resident amyloid in the tissues at the time of diagnosis. There was a very small trial of the Kalium 101 antibody. Could you overview for us what the thought process is about anti-amyloid antibodies and kind of what the future holds as we begin to investigate these? Yeah, th thank you, Dr. Gertz. I do think it's important to start with the fact that AL amyloid and amyloid overall except for ATTR amyloid, which can be diagnosed with a scan in patients who don't have monoclonal neuropathies. But AL really does require a tissue diagnosis. And indeed, at the point when amyloid can be appreciated in the fat or in the gingiva or in the rectal fat, patients have a large burden of amyloid. And uh, I think that uh, the delays in diagnosis, in addition to the fact that uh, we base our diagnostic process on a Congo red stain uh, that was uh, uh, implemented for this purpose 80 years ago, uh, puts patients at a disadvantage to start with. That is to say that delayed diagnosis seems to be built in to the diagnostic process in AL. We definitely need better tools for diagnosis and for early diagnosis. That having been said, uh, about five years ago, uh, it became a very, very uh, interesting uh, experimental effort on the part of several companies to develop ways to resorb amyloid from the body's tissues. Uh, the work of uh, Mark Pepys, who's now retired, the work of Alan Solomon, who's now retired, bore fruit in uh, three clinical trials. One clinical trial, which was advanced by, um, I believe by GSK, uh, involved the use of uh, two different agents uh, that clearly could help to mobilize amyloid from the tissues based on the small phase one data, uh, phase one trial that was uh, described five years ago in the New England Journal. However, that trial was uh, uh, just uh, a sign of, of hopefulness, I think. Uh, and as the attempt was made to bring amyloid resorbing agents into the clinic, uh, there were unintended uh, consequences and unexpected adverse reactions, and that 
uh, trial was uh, suspended. That agent is no longer in development by GSK. A second uh, effort was uh, uh, by Prothena uh, using a monoclonal antibody called NEOD001. That monoclonal had a great deal of promise and seemed to uh, work pretty effectively, particularly in patients with renal involvement. However, when it was brought into the clinic, the registration trial was based upon uh, a biomarker, NG-proBNP, that has its own vagaries in this disease. And that registration trial, uh, when analyzed, um, did not uh, meet its primary endpoint. And that trial was closed, and the other several trials with NEOD001 were closed in April of 2018. That left us with the KL101 monoclonal, and the data from the phase one trial that was conducted at Columbia and uh, the dose finding trial that Jason Allen presented uh, this week uh, are very interesting. The Columbia data are very interesting because as it's, and there does appear to be some change in the global longitudinal strain, a measure of how well the heart is contracting in patients who receive KL-101 in the Columbia trial. In the uh, trial conducted at Cleveland Clinic, the dose finding trial, what was most interesting to me was how the renal patients responded. It did appear to have the same kind of a promise that uh, NEOD001 had early on with respect to renal uh, AL. Uh, there are two trials open now. Uh, the uh, trials uh, are being sponsored by Alexion. Uh, both are for cardiac amyloid, a trial for stage 3A, a trial for stage 3B. Uh, both involve a two-to-one randomization. Uh, patients uh, who uh, are randomized uh, uh, to receive uh, KL-101 are in that two-thirds group. Uh, both involve the use of uh, Cyborg-D as initial chemotherapy for these newly diagnosed cardiac patients. And soon, we will be able to use Darasyborg-D, I expect, in the stage 3E trial, 3A trial, uh, because we expect Darasyborg-D to be approved. Uh, overall, however, I think this is still a work in progress, and the most trenchant question that was asked of Dr. Valens this week was, how do you expect a monoclonal antibody to work against uh, a, a, a solid deposit in the tissues. And uh, the, uh, the mouse data, which is uh, certainly a stretch forming these little amyloid tumors in the flanks of mice, suggests that neutrophils and macrophages are brought into the uh, deposits and help to resorb the deposits. Well, you know, an amyloidoma in the flank of a mouse is not the same as cardiac amyloid. It's not the same as hepatic amyloid. It's not the same as renal amyloid. So the jury is still out on this whole approach. And my, my money actually is on better imaging, earlier diagnosis, and uh, uh, the pursuit of complete responses with uh, uh, therapies like Darasyborg or isotuximab. Thank you very much. We're going to have just time, I think, just for some brief summary statements. I'd like to start with Dr. Sancharawala 
two minutes maybe on what you see are the unmet needs for this patient population and where the field is going? I think in my opinion, the most unmet need for systemic AL amyloidosis is earlier diagnosis. Uh, earlier uh, diagnosis will lead to uh, you know, early stage diseases, stage 3B, as shown by uh, the EMN group, uh, remains a, an unmet need with median survivals of less than six months or six months. And that has not changed in, you know, last two to three decades. So I think that, you know, earlier diagnosis, increasing awareness in the community that this disease exists, specifically in patients with nephrotic syndrome, cardiomyopathy, constellation of syndromes that you know, need to be placed in one bucket. And I think the other unmet need, in my opinion, is organ failure, end-stage renal disease, because most of these clinical trials exclude patients with end-stage renal disease. Furthermore, I think the other third unmet need is also severe autonomic neuropathy associated with systemic AL amyloidosis, because patients who have systolic blood pressures of less than 90 millimeters of mercury are not eligible to participate from any of these clinical trials. Thank you. Professor Wakelikar, unmet needs, where we're going? So unmet need, I think two areas, uh, education, awareness, and early diagnosis. We still miss these patients. Two thirds of the patients have advanced stage cardiac disease. Uh, we still don't have drugs which are proven to remove amyloid protein deposits and all the things that uh, Professor Sancharwala has said, we need something which would actually improve the endorgan dysfunction. Where we are going, I think the monoclonal antibodies are exciting, they're interesting, we're seeing deep responses, but we have to remember we're using them in combination with chemotherapy, which is still toxic. And having a regimen where we are able to avoid toxic chemotherapy, high-dose steroids, maybe combinations of monoclonals, maybe something that we need to be going towards in the future to achieve deep responses and clearly long-lasting responses because with every relapse, we see worsening of organ function. Thank you. Professor Comenzo, this discussion about less toxic regimens. Uh, there was a, a presentation at the meeting on an all oral regimen of exazomib, cyclophosphamide, and dexamethasone. Is, is this gonna go anywhere? I sure hope so for some patients, but <clears throat> the exazomib story is quite complicated and it was dealt uh, another blow, I think, by the presentation uh, by Terry uh, Pacon with uh, uh, the uh, addition of exazomib to Revlimid index. Uh, I, I really wonder whether or not insurers are going to permit exazomib to be used in AL, except in instances when uh, bortezomib-related uh, uh, adverse events have occurred. And even then, you've got to do peer-to-peer -peer and argue for it. So uh, it's, it's a great combination, I think, in terms of uh, starting uh, patients, uh, perhaps with their exazomib dex. Uh, but uh, I'm not optimistic that exazomib will be widely available for AL patients going forward. Thank you. We're drawing close to our time. I'd like to just summarize some of the things I think I've heard as key points uh, for our listeners. One I heard was that daratumumab is the potential to increase substantially the frequency of very deep responses and prevent organ deterioration. But that when you translate trial results into the real world, they don't always uh, 
because of the nature of participants in trials translate and there's still a major problem with early mortality in these patients. I heard that the light chain ratio fundamentally should not be used in the monitoring of these patients and that uh, our hematologists need to really be aware of this diagnosis, particularly in the patients they're monitoring with MGUS and smoldering myeloma to be alert for the development of light chain amyloidosis and that clearly the development of anti-amyloid antibodies that might act beyond the simple production of amyloid uh, has a lot of potential. I wanted to thank our three speakers and I'm very grateful for your attendance to this conference. Thank you for listening. To keep up to date with the latest Hemonk news, including cutting-edge content straight from ASH 2020, visit vjhemonk.com. Follow us on Twitter at vjhemonk to join the conversation.